welcome along. I hope you're enjoying your holidays and can take a bit of time out from the mince pies and presents to settle down for another D-Word podcast as I look back on some of the best moments from 2023 in the first of our two end-of-year specials. Coming up, I'll be finding out how metal detectorists are jogging memories, hearing a very real story about carrying at Christmas and jumping on board the happy bus with our friend Agnes Houston. Now, over the years, I've been lucky enough to meet people involved in all kinds of reminiscence projects. But back in January, I discovered one that was truly original as I chatted to Steve Kiley, who had turned his hobby as a metal detectorist into a way of helping people living with dementia. Sure. It's really two in, in, uh, to simplify. So we do a local program. I live in Massachusetts. So Massachusetts and Rhode Island is within driving distance for a local program. So like I say, I bring in the artifacts to these senior centers and nursing homes and assisted living facilities. And there's a one hour program. We provide, you know, the artifacts themselves with the PowerPoint presentation to sort of offer some context to each artifact. And so that's one program, the local program. Then we have a membership program. So the membership program is four of those live programs. Now it's virtual, right? That's the difference between the local program and the membership program. But we also provide like a 52-week-a-year program where you actually have reminiscence activities that you can do with seniors or a senior each and every week. And some of it's reminiscence bingo old newspaper articles from the 40s, actual newspaper articles from the 40s and 50s. And so each week uh, has new and interesting um, uh, reminiscence programs included in each week, if that makes sense. Yeah. So those are the two programs, a local program and a membership uh, program. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we kind of um, don't value some of those old items, like you were saying about old newspaper cuttings and whatever, mm. uh, and, and the, uh, you know, the power that they can produce kind of mm. later on in time. Mm. Yeah, you know, something, uh, I think the newspaper articles in particular, because they're the actual newspaper articles, so the artifacts do the same thing. It's, it's that imagery, I think. But when you look at the newspaper articles, again, I love it because I get to learn something each and every time I, I discover a new article or ad or thing that I want to include in the program. But it really does put things in perspective. Um, and some of it is as simple as retail prices. You know, if you see cars advertised and other items and you're like, oh, my God, you know, that, that was the price then. Uh, so something like that or the the news of the day, which you know, isn't as, as pleasant sometimes when I, and it was sort of an eye opening thing. I probably don't want to go down that road too much, but all, all I need to say is, you know, things were tough and, you know, tough times, uh, during that period. And, uh, so some of that I try to limit a little bit of, because I don't want it to be sort of a negative thing, but I try to keep the, the headlines positive, but it's just sort of an eye opener for me that, yeah, obviously, uh, difficult times in the 40s, early 40s in particular, late 30s, um, and so forth. So anyway, you do you do learn something, and it's definitely the imagery that sparks the the memories. 
Yeah, I think it's you know two great things: the memories and music, aren't they? Which um, which spark uh, you know images of, uh, of the past uh, and seem to to work really well. I kind of enjoy what you're doing because I don't think anybody else is doing this in pulling the <laughs> the kind of the 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 the, the artifacts that you find. And then mixing yeah. it with more traditional reminiscence activities, if you like, yeah. like old newspapers and stuff like that. That's that's kind of what fascinated me about contacting you and about the project, to be honest. Sure. And, and I can't help but mention here, you know, metal detecting is uh, a hobby, a, a passion of mine. And I've been I've actually only been doing it for about five years now. <clears throat> but I do watch some of these metal detectorists in the in the U.K., and in France and so forth. And I, I can't help but mention to you, since I'm speaking to you, how jealous I am of the history. You know, here in the United States, we find something, or I do, I found some items, you know, that were from the 1700s. And for us, that's incredibly old. You know, that's, that's fantastic. And I get, I get pretty jazzed up about that. You know, some old silver reals from the 1700s, old belt buckle, uh, old uh, shoe buckles, uh, old pewter spoons, those kinds of things from the 1700s. In the UK, you know, you got <laughs> things that are thousands of years old. So, you know, it, it is amazing to put things in context about about history, no doubt about it. And what was your actual question? Did you have a, a question? I think I went off on a tangent because I was thinking about the UK and the history. Um, no, remember- it, it was just really you seem to have, have hit upon something okay. unique. Right. Yes. And you're right. I don't think there's thanks. I don't think there's any I don't know of anyone who quite does it like this, uh, uh, although there are metal detectorists who do history, you know, and I find that fascinating, too. They kind of uh, some people just find items and that's it. They display them. They talk about them. They're excited about them. But some one in particular I'm thinking about in the United States he um, sort of relates it to history, American history, and I, I find that fascinating. But you're right. I don't know of anyone who – it must be because of my occupational therapy background. That's the only reason why I sort of, I think, guided me to that uh, reminiscence program. But I don't think there's anyone that does this that I'm aware of anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and when you when you are, um, you know, you you metal detectorist. I mean, um, what kind of sites do you aim at, or, or you know, where where do you look? Yeah, and and that's, you know, a lot of uh, metal detectorists in the United States is sort of a, a joke that it's usually a guy about my age um, who's wearing sandals and black socks and he's walking around, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, walking on the beach, right? So they're on the beach. That's the imagery. Uh, For me, I enjoy finding, I I don't uh, do that. Um, Not that I haven't done it a couple of times, but I like to find these old sites. So now with technology, there's uh, an app that I use and I can actually look at a map of what it used to be. So meaning I'm standing at a point and it shows me on a map of like 1880 uh, where that point is. So that's what I basically do. I try to find, you know, old sites and I use technology to help me find some of those old sites. And that's, um, that's half the fun of it too. Not only learning from the seniors, but I enjoy actually, um, finding these old sites too and researching them. And that's part of, uh, like I say, the education and, and the learning piece. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, most definitely. I mean, uh, looking at, uh, on your website, you've got other things as well, like uh, a lifetime memory journal, which is, uh, you know, a really interesting aspect of things as well, because, um, um, you know, we tend to take things for granted in our past sometimes, don't we? And don't uh, kind of, you know, dwell on those things, whereas something like that gives us the opportunity to do that. Yeah. And, and Pete, that's, uh, that's something I, you know, that I feel strongly about that I like in the program. And, you know, when I do the local programs in particular, I hear these, I find them very fascinating stories, some interesting stories. And I just think it'd be, it's a great opportunity to document these things, you know, and uh, with a lifetime memory journal, that's part of the memory. Thank you for mentioning that. Actually, that's part of the the program where an activities director or a caregiver is prompted or the scene is prompted by this artifact. And all of a sudden, a flood of memories might come out and some details and some interesting stories. And it's an opportunity. That's all it is, an opportunity to document some of these interesting stories and memories. So, yeah, that's part of the Thanks for bringing that up, actually. That's part of the program as well, an important part of the program uh, as well. Yeah. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. This is the D Word Podcast, and I'm looking back on some of the best moments of 2023. It's always a pleasure to talk music on the show, and in March I caught up with Nina Clark from Musical Walkabout, who told me about the very successful Thrive project. Mm, Yes, thank you, Pete, for the opportunity to talk about Thrive. So, um, obviously... COVID has had an impact on everybody's lives and and also working lives as well. So prior to COVID, uh, Musical Walkabout would be going into care homes and making um, our sessions were person-centred and still are, but they would be in person and one-to-one with myself being guided room to room by a member of staff or a family member uh, meeting people or, you know, re-meeting many times uh, because I have a, a really solid client base that we've, you know, fostered relationships over many years with, with our residents. So all of that had to cease when COVID hit. And the, after an initial sort of total cessation of services we were given a small amount of money from the arts council in 2020 to pilot how it would work over zoom which it did it you know worked brilliantly in fact um and was a i think for myself as well as for our participants something of a lifeline to the outside world um And then in 2021, through the success of that pilot, we were given a a much larger amount of money by the Arts Council to run that out in a in a big way. So the Thrive Project had many arms to it and many sub projects. So the minstrel part of it, so our our music person-centered music over Zoom one to one, that was one arm of it. There was also um, 
three different online groups, uh, Music Helps, uh, Yo Songsters and Songsters Care. And those were different iterations of staff training, uh, a big melting pot music group and a group for people in caregiving roles. And we also were doing a sort of virtual tour of, um, of the UK with our staff training. So that is the, the thing that we've taken from Thrive was how actually how vital that lifeline was to us all. So those groups have now become in-person groups. Uh, which we continue to, you know, deliver with care and make sure that's as COVID friendly as possible. Um, as well as taking that music helps staff training package and rolling that out online, which it now is um, launching this spring. So yeah, it's bit, it was a huge, a huge learning curve because those were all things that I had done at different times in person and in different formats, but we were doing it all at the same time. And and it was also the first time I'd been able to collaborate with so many other professionals in, in such an intense way. So we had our first member of staff come on board and we had, um, you know, an absolutely fantastic roster of professionals from the healthcare industry partnering with us uh, and monitoring the project and then evaluating it. So we came out of uh, 2021 with, uh, you know, an absolutely amazing amount of services that we can now provide, but also some really important evidence about how how vital it is to uh, to people's well-being. So yeah, Thrive, Thrive is uh, the legacy of Thrive is Music Helps, which is essentially where we're we're putting a lot of our energy going forward, which is trying to engage staff and people in caregiving roles, uh, and people living with dementia, and and looking at how we can train staff to feel like they're more confident and have the skills and resources to deliver music activities to support their own well-being as well as the well-being of their their charges so yeah it's a it's a great fun oh my gosh i love it so much <laughs> yeah you, you know it must have been great to uh, to get that evaluation because you know you have a hunch Absolutely. about things and you i'm doing the right thing yeah. this is really working but when you actually get in black and white that must have been yeah. uh, you know a really good feeling Absolutely. We'd been so fortunate. And, and I think that's what's really useful about uh, the Arts Council funding us on the three occasions that they have is that they require you to report back to them in quite a, a lot of detail. So a professional external evaluation was always part of each of those um each of those bids. So our original uh, Arts Council funding in 2016, like way back in the in the mists of the beginnings of Musical Walkabout, that was also professionally evaluated. And so we had, we knew that we were on to something and there's, my God, decades of evidence about how music is beneficial. Uh, for health and well-being but we knew we were on something so it was amazing for us to get the opportunity to evaluate again these newer elements of our service the staff training and the you know support for caregivers as well so absolutely it is really it's very any feedback we we ever get is always really uh, valuable and and taken to heart and you know we fold that into our practice as as soon as possible um but having such a 
you know, wide ranging response from our participants and our our professional partners was, yeah, tremendously rewarding and gives you keeps keeps you going, essentially. Dementia can be a dark world for carers, particularly at this time of year. And back in June, I talked to Bill Wilson about his experience with his late wife, Jo. And I wanted our first Christmas at home for many, many years. I had my rose-tinted glasses on, let's say that. And I thought it was going to be a lovely family Christmas, just the two of us. Um, Santa would come, you know. Uh, and of course, I had wrapped all the, cre- the presents and put them round the tree, the ones that I had bought for Joe, and obviously the ones that I'd had to buy for myself. Because um, Joe, by this time, had no capacity about what Christmas was all about. But still, I was in denial, and still I thought, no, we're going to have a lovely time, but we didn't. If I'm honest, it was a very lonely time for me. Um, Yes, I had people around me, friends and neighbours, not many family I hasten to add because it all kind of disappeared. Um, But it was still lonely. I still felt isolated. And I just collapsed on the kitchen floor one day and I sobbed unconsolably for 45 minutes. And it was like, it was like there was no end to it. I felt no one cared, no one understood what I was going through. Um, Fortunately, Joe was in a different room, didn't see any of it, so it wasn't upsetting to her. And and I know there are crisis teams and I know everybody gets a phone number to, to ring in the case of a crisis. But, you know, when your whole world is disintegrating around you and it feels like there's, there's, there's nothing, then crisis team doesn't exist in my head. You know, it, it was... It was as if I knew it was there, but I couldn't ring that number because it wasn't, it just wasn't, it wasn't registering in my head. So nothing was registering in my head. And when you're in a state of deep despair like that, nothing does register. And so a crisis line is like, well, so what, really? Because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't register. There is nothing. Um, and I realised then that I had to to do something more. Um, and, you know, Joe and I had talked initially about how we could raise dementia awareness. Although, having said that, she was... Um, she refused to accept the diagnosis. She would always say she didn't have dementia, but um, she was prepared, and, and that's a kind of it's a bit of a dichotomy, I guess. She was prepared to to help me the way she saw it in in getting the message out, and and that's when the um, the BBC and the Alzheimer's Society became involved. Um, we launched Dementia Action Week, 
um, on the BBC's Red Sofa. Um, that was an, a phenomenal success. The calls were up 75%. And I was told, and I didn't understand a word of this, but I was told that we were trending top five on Twitter. And it went straight over my head because I didn't know what Twitter was all about. And I certainly didn't know what, what trending on Twitter meant. Um, but it was good to know that the message was getting out there. And, and then when the BBC followed our story, um, that was great in itself because not only was I getting the message across in the northeast where I live, but also nationally and internationally. I was getting um, messages and letters from right across the globe. I mean, everywhere, Australia, the Philippines, Taiwan, Canada, right across Europe. And, and thankfully to the Royal Mail, I guess, a lot of them were, were just addressed to Bill and Joe Wilson at uh, Newcastle-upon-Tyne or Bill and Joe Wilson um, BBC interview, Newcastle-upon-Tyne. And, and they, were, they were coming to me. I mean, bags and bags of, of letters. Um, so I knew then that I had to start doing more because it, it, the letters I was getting were just fabulous, really. I mean, there were people who were in the similar boat to me and others who weren't, but had a, you know, a better understanding now of what dementia was all about. Um, and Joe used to attend... Um, daycare with dementia matters a couple of days a week and I got in touch with with their chief executive Bev Reed and so we've we teamed up really and we've established there a, an ethos of family-centered care um, to, to fundraise um, and raise awareness about dementia and we're, we're trying now to support the family members as well as those service users um, right through until bereavement. So that, that's something that I've managed to, to get my teeth into since Joe's uh, untimely death earlier this year. Um, and I've also started doing volunteering work as a volunteer research partner with um, Newcastle University on a range of dementia projects. I'm working with Newcastle Hospitals, NHS Trust, and this is a mouthful, Cumbria, Northumberland, and Tynemweir NHS Trust, which is the local mental health trust. Um, and so I've been able to use my experience to have a practical and strategic input to several different areas across service development in, in the NHS. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. Getting the chance to talk to researchers on the front line is a fascinating experience, particularly when they're doing groundbreaking research, like B. Blair Braden from Arizona State University, who's studying the links between autism and dementia. To start, though, 
How is autism diagnosed? It's that's one of the ways that I start all of my talks is just a brief history of autism to kind of set the stage for why is it we you know understand so little about aging with autism, despite the fact that autism was first coined in the early 1940s. It took almost 40 years before it was in the um, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders as an appropriate childhood developmental disorder. It was misnomered as childhood schizophrenia for a while. Um, so even when it became a diagnosable condition in 1980, it's still people just didn't know much about it. And then, of course, we have this like horrible history of it being blamed on the mothers and called refrigerator mothers that were cold to their children causing autism. We have the horrible stopover with the vaccine hoaxes. It's just it's had a really rough history with eugenics and the idea of trying to eradicate people with autism. So these last 10 or 15 years have been a really important phase in the history of autism where people are able to um, understand themselves better, understand each other better, and really claim autism as a way to be where you have a lot of strengths to add to this world. And, uh, you know, that must make your research really difficult because, um, you know, looking back on it, I mean, even if someone got diagnosed, I don't know whether they, when they were five or 10, uh, yep. right at the beginning, they'd be 50 now, wouldn't they? And Exactly. And, and I guess you must have so many people that just got missed in the first place and didn't get diagnosed at all. Right. Absolutely. Most of our participants and we recruit adults over the age of 40. So we go we span from about 40 to our oldest participant is 78, I think. Um, most of them were not diagnosed as kids and most of them and many of them found their way to diagnosis by having children who were diagnosed. And once they went through that process with that their child and they learned what the diagnostic criteria of autism are, they realized that that is really them and that's described their experience and they never knew that. So are we, are we looking at some sort of um, genetic link there? Absolutely. There is a strong genetic link to autism. It is, you know, incredibly heritable and runs in families. But with that being said, just like almost all psychiatric conditions, there's no one gene. There's, you know, we have a few hundred risk genes that our best guess is it depends on how many of these risk genes that you have that is going to um, be the most or the strongest contributor to if you develop autism. So, you know, the more you're telling me already, I'm kind of drawing a few parallels with dementia uh, and, you know, what we talk about here on the show. And I, I'm kind of really surprised that, that nobody has drawn those parallels before. Yeah, I mean, it really, you know, when you think about it, we pediatrics is one field of medicine and geriatrics is another field of medicine and the two don't talk that much so it's really it's it's not surprising when you think about how we actually treat medical care in this country but then yeah when you look back step back and look at the science of it it makes a lot of sense that these developmental conditions that change the way the brain matures in the early years are likely going to change the way the brain matures in later years as well To finish off part one of our look back on 2023 is Agnes Houston, MBE, who in October introduced me to the Happy Bus. And I think, and words are very powerful again, Pete. Um, and if, they do, if you start, you know, if you're at meetings, if someone starts negative, 
it just goes negative right through everybody's conversation, you know, and um, so uh, words are powerful. So I think if we use positive words, not taking away the negative things that happen, but, you know, for in, um, I prefer talking about wellness, you know, and um, keeping yourself well and fit and active and, you know, that. And whereas the, the, in the dementia world, the medical model talk about the loss, you know, you will lose this, you'll lose your ability to do that. You start getting people saying, well, I know, well, I know my daughter. So then people say, when will I, when will I forget my daughter or my husband or what have you? Because I've listened to this, so then it's interpreted in, it's not maybe it'll happen, it's when will it happen, you know? So I think we need, in the medical model and anything when we're talking about it, I think we need to choose our words very carefully and but not take away from the fact it's a terrible thing to happen to anyone, any family, it has an impact, but then so does cancer. And who can say that cancer or motor neurons, disease or demand? Why would you say once, you know, when it hits your family, the emotional impact and the impact otherwise it has financial and that on your family is tremendous. And we can't take that away from people trying to live as well as they can. But, you know, I remember having a talk oh, many, many years ago now. It might be 12 years ago or maybe longer. And I said to my daughter, the nurse had just left, and I says to Donna, Donna, do you want to go on the misery bus? Because that's where we are. And are we jumping off it and getting on that happy bus? Right? I says, because see where these people are taking us. We're going to remain in this miserable, awful place. So my daughter and I jumped off the misery bus and went on the happy bus. Awful things happened to us, no doubt about it, but awful things happened to loads of people. But, you know, it makes it sweeter and easier if you can find the silver lining and put a wee sunshine in, you know, what is it, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. So. Go and have a cake. If you want a pint, have a pint. Don't listen to anybody, do you know what I mean? Um, be as safe as you can, but don't be that concerned with your safety that your life stops and you stop living your life. So it's a balanced way of working of it. And um, it's very difficult, you know. It's a very difficult thing to do, but... As I say, we jumped off the misery bus and went on the happy bus, and we've remained on the happy bus. Sometimes we have, you know, not so good times, you know, but um, I say to Donna, sunshine's always round the corner, you know, um, and the bus will be turning the corner shortly, you know. Um, it, you know, so, yeah. I would like to see if anybody's listening and that, the professionals and that, to try and make life a wee bit easier for us, the bureaucracy, the forum film, the, you know, you have 
things that are hard, you know, to do, right? My writing, I'm, it's awful. My understanding of questions and forums, etc. And what have they done? Made the forums even longer, lengthier, and more gobble to gook. You, it would take a, a professor sometimes to get to the bottom of it. Is that especially the Department of Working Pensions and all the things that you have to fill in once your active working life is over due to a cognitive impairment? They ask you to be very cognitive and fill out these forums. You know. Awful. But anyway, as I say, but it's much better now, I hope, than it was when I was diagnosed 17 years ago. We wouldn't have been having this conversation. Um, you know, and people living with dementia, they can't say we can't do, because in our group, we've got Dr. James McKillop, who's got a doctorate and an MBE. I've got an MBE. Another one's got a British Empire medal. Um, Martin has went on and got a degree. I mean, we have. It just takes us longer to do it. And we need assistance and help in a lot of ways. But we can still give to society. We're not a burden to society, no matter what the... I, I was told, you know, and what I was led to believe that I was going to be a burden to my family and society. Well, my daughter says she for years she was running to keep up with me. Thanks to Steve, Nina, Bill, Blair and Agnes for being five of the inspirational people I was lucky enough to meet during the year. Well, that's it for this edition. Hope you'll join me again next time when we'll continue our look back on 2023.